0: We are looking at um, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation." All right. Well, good morning and welcome. I'm um, Jeremy. I'm one of the leaders here and um, I'm going to be walking you through this last habit in our Habits of Grace series, the habit of rest. And um, this is a great one to get stuck into. It's, um, it's Sunday and, uh, and the work week is about to kick off for most people who work sort of Monday through to Friday. And I wonder really how you're feeling about that. I wonder if you're feeling ready for that. I wonder if Sunday is the day where you have the encroaching sick feeling in your stomach that something is coming up and you can't quite work out what it is until you realize that tomorrow the work week begins again and you're not feeling ready. I think that's how many people feel on a Sunday. You might even be here gathered with God's people on a Sunday and your mind is already halfway into the work week. It's true that we are busy. We feel busy. We feel by busyness. You can even think of it, like an extended metaphor for it might be this. Earlier in the year, we headed away up the north coast for holidays, and as we were heading up the highway, so around that time, there's a lot of road safety campaigns because obviously there's, you know, a lot more people on the roads, there are a lot more accidents and the like, and the big campaign, I don't know if you noticed what they were pushing this year, the big one was three car lengths between the cars, and I think either it was done earlier in the year, but it was certainly the first time I saw it, but on the freeway, they had it measured out. So as you're driving, you could see whether or not you were actually far enough from the car in front of you. So they're pushing this, pushing this, pushing this. And yet the whole way up the freeway, even when there was clear space, it's like, it's like city-siders could not get out of the mindset of being bumper to bumper. At 110, people are pulling in and out, of like they you know, their undertaking and all this kind of stuff. They're keeping one car space between them all. The whole way up, There's all these cars doing 110 with barely enough space in between them. And I remember just feeling as we were driving up like, this is stressful, right? Because you know that if one car goes or breaks too suddenly, it's going to lead to a catastrophe, right? Through all the cars that are lined up. I reckon that is probably a metaphor for most people's life in the city. That all the stuff we have is far too close together and we are always on the brink of some major kind of crash. We go from one thing to another thing to another thing such that if one event blows the time schedule out, we're gone for a month and we don't recover. It seems like everything we have is back to back to back. We go from one thing to another with barely enough time to think or process things. We get hit with news stories constantly and they're so tragic that we don't even have enough time to process them before another one hits us again and again and again. But the craziest thing about it is this. We live in a time with more time-saving devices than any part of humankind has ever had in human history ever before, and yet we feel busier. We have so many time-saving devices, and yet we do not feel free. Think about what you've got. Think about, I was even thinking this week, we, we put on like a load of washing each day. Imagine how much of your day would have been taken up with just scrubbing clothes. But once we've got a washing machine, we just buy more clothes to fill it with so that it needs to be constantly sent through. Well, more than that, we have, we have microwaves, we have ovens, we have cars, we have iPhones, we have all kinds of technology that's meant to be giving us more time, all these time-saving devices, and yet somehow, some way, we find a way to still be time poor. I heard one person say they just feel like they're always kind of just late for life. We just feel behind. And it's a weird phenomenon. Every time we create more space or more margin, we just cram it with more stuff. It's almost like when they had the bus seats before they put the divider between us for an individualist society like ours so everyone knows which part of the bus seat is theirs and which isn't. When they have a bench seat, what would sometimes happen is you'd sit down, someone would sit next to you and they're a little bit close, a little bit of skin on skin. And so you'd give yourself just a little bit more margin and then they would take a bit more margin and again and again until basically you're you're kind of in the fetal position in the corner, right? But I feel like that's what we do with our schedules. Every time we get a bit more space it's almost as something just rushes in to fill it and again and again and again. We are busy. And it's leading to an irritability in life. We're busy and we're angry. We honk, we beep, we hurry, we rush, we're annoyed, we're short with other people, we keep switching lines in the supermarket, we keep switching lanes in traffic, we are just on edge. And I would put to you that the reason that life is like this is because we're out of sync with God's created, design, and order for the universe. I got a bit cosmic for a Sunday morning after talking about traffic and going to that. But I think it's true. And the habit that we're looking at last is the habit of rest. We've looked at five habits. We've said this year that we're about making more and stronger disciples. And as you grow stronger in Jesus, we want to encourage you to develop good spiritual disciplines where you're going to grow week on week, year on year. We encourage daily Bible reading and prayer, stewardship, church community, and gospel fluency we looked at last week. But I'll put to you that this one, rest, is practically upstream from all the others. That actually, if your life is so crammed and busy and full, that if you just try to add spiritual disciplines in on top of that, it's just going to be more busyness. That actually, it's the case that we need to be living life at a pace that's in sync with God's created order that we might be able to put in place habits of grace where we are going to grow in our love for Jesus week on week, month on month, year on year. See, busyness keeps us in such a a tailspin you can't even grow as a Christian. One guy, Michael Zigarelli, uh, did some research on uh, the state of Christians in America and, and put that the biggest challenge to Christian growth is busyness and he put it this way, he described a cycle. He said, it may be the case that Christians, one, are assimilating a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload that leads to, two, becoming more marginalized, uh, God becoming more marginalized in Christian lives, which leads to, three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to, four, Christians becoming more, vul- more vulnerable, not for vulnerable, sorry, I was in a hurry, um, and Christians becoming more vulnerable to accepting secular assumptions about life, which leads to, five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry and overload, and the addictive cycle continues. And I think that's pretty accurate. And so we're going to put to you over the next three weeks, the Bible, God's Word, God Himself is calling you to rest. We're going to start this week with the practice, the habit of setting a day of rest aside each week. Next week, we're going to look at work, which is the flip side of rest. And then on the third week, on rest throughout the week. my prayer is that it would put a right margin in your life that you might be able to see and understand who God is. You might not be so dizzy and busy and distracted. We might be able to grow as Christians and love our neighbor rightly as he calls us to. Let's pray. Father, many, even here in our gathering, are tired and worn out, maybe even barely clinging to a faith, feeling busy and distracted and overloaded and burdened. And and yet we know in your word that to find Christ is to find freedom, that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, that the gospel itself is free, no one can earn it or achieve it, it is your gracious gift in Jesus, through his blood shed on the cross for us. And so, Father, we pray that as we understand how you have made this world and this universe, that we would be in sync with it. We would hear what you have to say about life, about our limited capacities as humans made in your image, and that we might rest as an act of worship and trust in you. And Father, we pray that you would help us to help one another in this, to know that we need one another in this, to encourage one another to follow Jesus day by day and to rest. And Father, we pray that this would all be for your glory. Amen. We're going to dig into Genesis 2, and it was just three short sentences that that Danielle read out for us before, but just like last week, we're saying we we don't just pick up parts of the Bible and take them out of context, kind of like an electrical wire, you don't just pull it out of the ground and start chopping away, you want to see what it's connected to. And so Genesis 2, obviously, is connected to Genesis 1, which came just before it, and in in the book of Genesis, which is all about the beginnings of everything, in Genesis chapter 1 we read a crucial sentence about humankind and where this world is going and our place in it. In Genesis 1, 26 to 28, at the end, uh, kind of toward the end of Jesus' creation, he says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work and all that he had done, and he rested. Now, that's the wrong verse. <laughs> that's good. Uh, that's, from, that's from Genesis 2, 1 to 3. Let me get you Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Or was it, is it right on the screen? It was, okay? Thank you for that. Let me, let me get the right verses. Okay, let me get it there. 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and every living thing that moves on the earth. So these couple of verses explain some very crucial things for humankind. The first is this, why it is that humans organize themselves differently to the rest of creation. Over nothing else in creation does God say, these are made in my image. He creates an incredible biodiversity. And over none of it does he say, they're made in my image. Only over humankind, man and woman, he says, they're made in my image. We're different. But this also explains the desire to have families and to create new things and build cities and to do things better. God gives this command to humankind to say, fill the earth and subdue it. You know, understand creation, cultivate the ground. This was the desire of God for his people. That they would cover the earth with people who worship God, made in His image. And so that explains really why as humans we have this desire to to continue to improve on things. It's a God-given thing. It is a good and right desire. But right after that section, right after this command to fill the earth and subdue it, we get in the very next chapter this this passage on rest. Look at Genesis 1, uh, 31 to 2, 4. It says And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So after declaring that everything is not just good but very good, his creation project is completely finished. There's this little section at the end where you're almost like, well, why is that even there? There's a seventh day that God rests on. We're told that He sets it apart. It's holy, which is the word that we looked at last week. It's set apart. It's to be different. And He blessed it. Now, why is God resting here? Why would God need to rest? He's not exhausted. from where, It's not like He forgot to manage His tasks properly and He's just overcooked it. And so on the seventh day, He just needs a day to cool down. We're told in Isaiah 48, uh, 40 28, Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is everlasting, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. God does not faint or grow weary. He's not like us. His capacities are infinite. So why is it here in this text that God is resting? Why do we get this section right after this creation order that God is resting? He's creating a pattern of work and rest that is for human flourishing. That work is good, and we'll get to that next week. But with that, rest is good. And so he creates this order and this rhythm to creation where humans are to complete this this project of filling the earth and subduing it, but they're to do it according to his pattern, this one-day rest and six-days-of-work pattern. And he affirms that it is good. And this is interesting to look at. This is a pattern that is meant to be a sustainable pattern for human flourishing, for continuing to subdue the earth and fill it. But also, rest in this passage has a Godward dimension. It is holy to the Lord. Just as work is a good act of worship, a response to who God is and what He has done, so rest is also. And because of this, when God calls a people to Himself, a people called Israel, one of the first things he does when he rescues them out of slavery is to establish the command for the Sabbath. It just means Shabbat or stop. It means to cease. It's the day of rest, which is the Saturday. And so in Deuteronomy 5:12 to 15, look at what God says to his people. He says, Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock, just to cover all the bases Here is like, do not work, right? Stop. Or the sojourner, so the person traveling through the land, the refugee who's within your gates, that your male and female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. He set this pattern in creation and when he calls the people together for himself, he urges them, commands them that they should follow that pattern. He says, I've called you out of the land of slavery. Think about this. Israel had been in 400 years of slavery. That's generations of people not taking a single day off. That is endless work for four hundred years, and so the first thing that he does when he pulls them out is to say to them, "You have to stop. You have to take a day of rest." It was meant for them to give them a break, but it was also that it was meant to be to put economic limitations on them. They weren't to be just endlessly productive. Notice what he says there. He puts in the, all the little sort of inclusions. He's like, "You've got to stop," but also. You can't just get other people's servants to just keep working for you so you can keep being productive. That's cheating. Everyone's got to stop. The whole day, the whole nation stops. Can you imagine what that would be like? You can't because you've never seen it. We've never seen anything even close to that, have we? We get mad when the cafe shops are half, uh, when the cafe shuts a half hour early. People start banging on the doors and things like that. Like, we can't stand when things shut down. This is a whole nation shutting down every week for an entire day. You couldn't do anything. It put put a cap on how productive they could be. But it wasn't just for them. It was also for the land. In Leviticus, in 25, 1 to 5, we read this. It says, for six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruits. But in the seventh year there'll be a Sabbath and a solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what it grows itself or in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath shall provide food for you, for yourself and for your male and female slaves or servants and for your hired worker and the sojourner who lives with you and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land and its yield shall be for food. They're saying not only is there a Sabbath day each week, there was a Sabbath year every seven years where they couldn't create new lands. It was to give the land a rest. So God was saying, not only did humankind need rest to flourish, but actually creation does as well. It's not meant to be flogged infinitely for infinite amounts of production. Every seven years, there's to be a break. Even recently, I think even as recent as two years ago, there was a lot of debate in the nation of Israel between various religious groups about there was a seven times seven Sabbath year, and as to whether people could actually produce uh, a food from the land. So it's something that's still even being practiced or trying to be practiced today. But it was something that God set up to put economic limitations. He's like, he's not created the world for a 24-7 production culture. It is not built that way. Humans don't thrive in that kind of rhythm, and neither does the earth. Here, it was to give it a rest. But more than that, on every seven times seven years, there was a year of jubilee Where all debts were cancelled. I know we saw in that text it used the word slaves. It is not like New World slavery. It was more indentured servitude where you would serve for a time and you would get some land at the end of it or be paid for it. But more than that, you couldn't be, there wasn't generational debt. Every 50 years there was a reset. So if you were giving out a loan and you knew the reset year was coming up, you're not going to loan out a lot at that time because you know you're not going to get it all back. Rest, or Sabbath, was meant to build into the created order the idea that we are limited, that we are not infinitely productive. It was a Sabbath to the Lord, and it was meant to honor God by trusting Him that even when we stop, it's enough. That we can't just continually keep going relentlessly, trying to produce more and more and still flourish. It was to stop and to trust that God is our provider, He is sovereign, and this is His world and we are His people. We've talked about this a bit over this series, but the prevailing view of humanity is different to this in our society, isn't it? The prevailing view of humanity is that if there is a God, he, she, it, or they are basically irrelevant to our daily lives. And the prevailing view is humanism, that we are essentially good and our potential is near infinite. That if we're using technology, using new strategies, we can near infinitely increase our capacities to do things. It led to a phenomenon, if if you're in education, you might have heard of this, led to a phenomenon in the 80s called hot housing. Is anyone familiar with hot housing? Okay, cool. I'll start a fair way back. But it's a reasonably simple concept. The belief was, again, that our capacities were near infinite. So if you just started kids learning early enough and hard enough, that you could exponentially kind of increase their intellectual capacities. And so they would start, you know, doing the thing where they're playing them Beethoven in the womb all the way through to as soon as they get out, they're teaching them math and science and just like, just smashing them. And what they realized was they were ruining these kids. That actually, we've, we hit this, the, the limits of our capacities really quickly. That you are limited biologically. There are things genetically that just put limits on what you can do. But not only that, that generally as humankind, We are limited. Humanism wants to focus on our our capacity, on our potential, on what you might be able to do and the Sabbath, the idea of rest in the Bible is the idea that you are very limited. There is only so much that you can do and then you have to stop. It's an admission that we don't like to admit that we are created and we are not God and we do get exhausted and we have to stop. God says stop, enough you will not find flourishing by pushing and pushing and pushing it was true for israel and it's true for us so the question becomes why don't we do it now i mean i don't know if you've noticed this but i imagine in none of your conversations any of you asked how was your sabbath yesterday i don't know you could have it could be a really you know idiosyncratic thing but, uh, but I don't hear that language a lot. You know, don't hear it a lot in Christian circles. Why don't, we, why don't we do the Sabbath? Why don't we practice it? I heard one author ask the question, well, in the, in the Ten Commandments, I mean, we've got nine there that still kind of are in force. Is it just nine commandments and one really strong recommendation? Why do we treat the Sabbath differently? Well, there is a reason. Jesus kept the Sabbath. He was accused of breaking the Sabbath, but he actually kept it. What he really broke was the the rules that certain religious leaders had put around the Sabbath. But Jesus kept the Sabbath, so why don't we? Well, Hebrews 4 4 to 10 gives us a bit of insight into how it has changed for us as New Testament people on this side of the cross. It says, For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. I like that, by the way. If you ever forget where a Bible verse is, you just say, For somewhere he has spoken. Anyway, so here he says, for somewhere he has spoken of the seventh day in this way. It's Genesis 2, just a the hack there. And God rested on the seventh day from all his work. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, uh, who formerly received the good news, who failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appointed a certain day today, saying through David so long afterwards, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Here the author is saying that the Sabbath in the Old Testament, like the sacrificial system, was a shadow of the things to come. The rests that they had, the the weekly rest, the seven-year rest, The year of Jubilee every 50 years were all ceremonies to remind Israel that there was a rest coming that finally arrives in Jesus. See, the truth is, as much as we can rest in this life, we will never really be at rest until what is really ruining this world is dealt with, which is sin and death. Until the enemies of sin and death are conquered, we will never find true rest in this life. And the author of Hebrews is pointing us to that saying, look, in Jesus is where we find real rest. In Him, we find forgiveness of sin. In Him, we are made new. In Him, we find our true rest. And one day, He will establish the heavens and the earth and deal with sin, the sin that's even in our hearts, completely and establish His new order forever. But until then, until then, we wait. And because this was a shadow of the things to come, it finds its fulfillment in Jesus And so no longer are the people of God called to practice the Sabbath in the same way as in the Old Testament. That's why in Colossians 2, 16-17, Paul, a Jewish man, remember, writes this. Colossians 2, 16-17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, or with regard to a festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ." The new teaching, Testament, uh, uh, the New Testament teaching, rather, of the Sabbath, is that it was a shadow of Jesus. It was a, a kind of a, a, a visual way to practice rest, but the reality belongs to Jesus. And so it is no longer enforced for Christians to have a day of rest called the Sabbath, which would be a Saturday. And so one of the questions you might might be well, like, why do we bother going through all that Sabbath stuff? we can just wrap it up right here then okay there was a sabbath for that time and now we're done well i would say it is the case according to the new testament that it is not a sin to not take a day of rest on the sabbath but what i would say is that if you don't you are out of sync with the pattern of creation and that's a big deal while it's not sin to not have a day of rest it is extremely unwise you are out of sync with the rhythm that God has created in His universe. Think of it like this. At, at, a, at a kid's party, I'll call it that, it was Indy's party, so Gab's daughter's party, our kids were there and they were doing a, a three-legged race. And Asher was uh, tethered to a much larger kid. And so if you've ever been in a three-legged race, you'll know that if someone's gait is a little bit longer than the others, it's going to be trouble. And so, like, they're all lined up at the finish line. Everyone's legs are kind of strapped together. And then, I don't know what they did, blew blew a whistle or something? I don't know. shot a cap gun into the air, uh, whatever it was. And the race started. And the kid that Asher was with obviously really, really wanted to win. And so he's come out of the gates way too hard. Within two steps, Asher's on the ground. And normally, that would result in being like, oh, you know, I guess that's it for us. You know, we lost the race. No. He just proceeded to like drag him along the ground at which point I had to like run out and intervene and I, and I actually kind of got up and he was pretending he was all fine and when I took him off to the side he just had a little cry because <laughs> he was like so, you know so whatever by it but it's it's if you've ever done a three-legged race you'll know that if you don't keep exactly in sync you're in for trouble if the two of you are out of sync one of you is going to end up on the ground it may not be as disastrous as when that happened but it will happen If you are not taking a clear day of rest each week, you are out of sync with the rhythm that God has created for work and rest. And there will be consequences. And I think it's fair to say from our experience, isn't it, that there are. It doesn't work. This pattern is right. People have experimented with this. The French Republican calendar was an attempt, I think in the 18th century... To create a 10 day week, it was partly to reject the kind of Christian heritage that they had in culture and partly to increase productivity. Guess what? It was a disaster. Nine days' work and one day's rest, productivity declined, mental health declined. It was an absolute disaster. It was out of sync with God's created order. See, the truth is, it's not a sin to not have a day of rest each week, but it's not wise. It's not a sin to walk around with a table over your head, but it's not wise. It's not a sin to keep a viper in your bed, but it's not wise. It's not a sin to try a backflip on flat ground without any training or practice, but I would say it's not wise. You get the idea. It's not a sin to not practice a day of rest, but it's not very wise. Look what Tim Chester has to say about this in his book, The Busy Christian's Guide to Busyness which is co-authored by Dr. Seuss, apparently. <laughs> Chester says, Our society has adopted a pattern of 48 weeks of work and four weeks of rest. We overwork for most of the year, and then we binge dressed for four weeks. But this was not the pattern for which we were made. We need holidays because our normal lives are so out of balance. The sustainable answer is not an annual holiday, but to get back to a biblical pattern of work and rest structured around a week and it keeps going part two it's doubtful if holidays are good for us eight out of ten people work extra hours before going away one in three finds the days before a holiday the most stressful of the year most say they feel as stressed as ever by their first week back when your pattern is 48 weeks work and four weeks rest then your holiday is everything people speak of working for their holidays christmas letters typically consist of holiday itineraries that is the sum of people's lives Life has become week after week of toil for two weeks in the sun. We love binging on things. We binge on work and then we binge on rest. And we try and pack 48 weeks' worth of rest into two weeks and then we get stressed out because our kids are ruining it and we're blowing all this cash and then we get back and we're more stressed than when we left. It's silly. It's out of sync with creation. It's life at 8,000 revs. We are burning it too hard. Ask yourself this question and see if you can answer it honestly. If you did not have any annual leave, imagine that, teachers. And I can say that because I'm a teacher. But If you had no annual leave at all, would you be able to continue happily and healthily? Because if not, I would say you're out of sync. If you couldn't survive without annual leave, if that's not just a gift on top, if that's the coping mechanism for just weeks and weeks of overwork, I would say you're out of sync with the created order and there will be consequences for it. It's not wise. Just as insights are right, we need a day of rest and a clear day of rest. I was wondering whether to include this, you, know, you can turn me on the little slips afterwards, whether it's too strong. Eugene Peterson called, and this is kind of in the context of thinking about a day of rest versus a day off. He said the day off is a bastard Sabbath. I know that's strong language, but what he's saying is, it is a, poor, a day off is a poor imitation of the pattern of the day of rest that we have in Scripture. Just not working for a day will not necessarily mean that you are rested at the end of it. Because oftentimes, our days off consist of sort of work laxing, doing a little bit of work and trying to relax a little bit at the same time. Often it's a time to get life admin done between a few social events and between trips to Bunnings and Ikea. Often it's uh, because our work weeks are so packed that we actually fill it with chores and all kinds of stuff and we just feel scrambled and all across the place. And in the end, it really is not much of a day off in the end and it's certainly not a day of rest. A day of rest means no work. A day of rest means setting aside time, to think on God's greatness and His goodness in creation and to enjoy the created things that He's given us to enjoy. It's a day of rest. On the Sabbath, look at the things that Israel were banned from doing, just as a, as a guide or as a pattern. You are not allowed to light a fire, which I know you're like, yeah, okay, I, yeah, I could go many weeks without lighting a fire. But that's because we cook with, well, if you've got a gas stove, then you're out. Okay, so... But they used fire for everything, for heating, for cooking, for all this stuff. And so that meant none of that could be done on a Sabbath day. You couldn't carry burdens. Now again, that's physic- in, a, in a workforce that's physical labor, that means no work at all. You can't carry anything. You, you couldn't carry a single thing. You couldn't make profit. You couldn't make money. You couldn't do business. In the book of Nehemiah, the whole reason the people of Israel get busted is because they're working on the Sabbath. You couldn't gather food. That's no going to the shops. With that, the pattern here was a day to think on God's goodness and just to stop, to trust that we are limited and that God provides and we can trust our lives over to Him. A day of rest is a day to stop, to enjoy God's good creation. And it's a beautiful gift. And so the question would be, if it's so good, why aren't we doing it? I mean, in Australia, we have, we have two days on the weekend. That means if you, if you stuff it up on the first day, you've still got a second shot. It's like AFL. You, can, you get another ping at it. But with... Yeah, for those who like AFL. Why is it that if rest is so good, that we so rarely take a, a really good day of rest? In Israel's history, the reason they broke the Sabbath, we're told, in Ezekiel is for one reason Ezekiel 20:16 it says because they rejected my rules and did not walk in my statutes and profaned my sabbaths for their heart went after idols idolatry was the reason that Israel broke the sabbath in the old testament and again and again and again and i think it's the same for us you know it's not a sin to not take a day of rest but often there's sin somewhere nearby and usually it's the love of an idol An idol is anything that is not God that we love more than Him, that we believe we'd find more joy in. And the four biggest, as we looked at last week, are control, power, approval, and comfort. And I reckon these are the four biggest reasons that people can't take a day of rest. Is it control? Do you actually feel like either your work or life would get out of hand if you really took a day of clear rest, where you just rested and enjoyed God's good creation? that you can't believe that if I let life get get that out of control, that I would still actually be happy, I would still flourish as a human. Or maybe it's power. Maybe a job is so crucial to you, you you need to feel like somebody who does things. In fact, it's kind of a point of pride when people ask you how you're going. You often say busy or tired because it's a point of bragging. Because to say that I'm doing well is kind of what lazy people do, right? If you're happy, it's probably because you're not working hard enough. Is it something that you can't stop working because it's a part of your identity. I'm important, I'm busy, I get things done, I handle things properly. And because of that, you can't stop. Is it approval? Is it you just can't say no to things and so your days get filled with doing things to please other people so that you can't really just stop and take a day of rest, even a single 24-hour period to rest? Is it comfort? The need to feel nice all the time? Do you know it's possible... And I know this sounds funny, it's possible to be too lazy to rest. To give you just a quick example, if you've ever done that thing where you're staying out watching TV and you're exhausted and your eyes are closing but you just can't be get bothered getting off the couch because it's too much effort to go to bed, that's just a microcosm of what it's like to be too lazy to rest properly. Sometimes doing things that are restful, it's easier just to do stuff like binge watch TV which leaves us feeling agitated and you know all at sea. And so oftentimes, we can't do the things that we need to do in order to rest properly. It's possible to be too addicted to the idol of comfort to actually rest properly. Whatever it is, wisdom would say, follow God's pattern. There should be a day of clear rest every week. So to finish on getting practical on these things, let me run you through a couple of points that I think are crucial to it. The first is, a day of rest takes planning now actually takes effort. God, God actually had to make it illegal for his people not to rest in order to get them to rest. that 's how serious it had to be. You could die for breaking the Sabbath. He had to make it that serious just so his people would take a day off. He knew the nature of humankind, and so actually resting is going to take some preparation i've been told that uh, for those who've been to Israel, that it's even the case still today that on Friday afternoon there'll be a Friday afternoon rush, and the reason is. Because the, the Sabbath goes from sundown on the Friday, and what is it? Yeah, sundown on the Friday to the corresponding time the next day. And so what happens is everyone's trying to get all the chores, all the kind of things out of the way on the Friday afternoon. So they're rushing to get it done. People are going to the shops, getting all this sort of stuff. Because once it hits sundown, it's rest time. Some people even take it so seriously that they don't, they don't do any public transport. So there's nothing that you can get. So people just stop. Now, I think it's the case that if you're going to have a day off, it's probably going to take some preparation. If you're not going to spend the day doing chores and errands and running back and forth, it might actually mean getting the week a little bit organized so that you could take a proper day, a 24-hour period, where you just rest properly. And that's hard. That's hard if you do shift work because it's going to be a different day of the week. It's hard if you've got kids. It's hard if you've got all kinds of pressing responsibilities. It takes preparation. I think oftentimes that's why we don't do it because it's kind of it's too much effort to rest but we need to. That's the first one. The second one is, it takes creativity. It is true, no matter who you are, that TV probably in some ways has killed your creativity when it comes to rest. Mel and I have been, have been over this year, putting in the practice where we don't watch TV sort of during the weekdays, it's just for weekends. And there are, initially as well, when we started doing this, one of the first things we realised is like, I don't really know what to do. Like you have this kind of, as soon as you sit down, at the end of the night, the kids are in bed, there's some quiet space. The reflex is you just put something on and you switch off. And when you don't do that, you just feel kind of funny. Like you're like, well, I don't know, what did people do for thousands of years before TV? The truth was they probably talked and connected and then rested. But the habit is that we just, our automatic thing is when I get time, I've got, I've got 90 different sort of shows in my mind that I want to binge through and, uh, and I, I just start working through those. But it's going to take creativity to rest, some thinking. What are some things that I'm going to do that are actually restful, or enjoy God's good creation? Because rest is different to distraction. Distraction is what we're really good at. Distraction is mostly addictive, and it's the things that we do compulsively, but it's not very restful. And so having a good day of rest is going to take some creativity. And I think the other challenge with that is it's different for different seasons. Whether you are single or in a relationship or married or with kids, rest is going to have different challenges. Having a clear day of rest is going to have different challenges, isn't it? If you, are, if you are an introverted single, a day of rest is a, is a challenge. I know that as a really introverted person because the, the natural tendency is to just spend time by yourself. And that, that, can, that can be good to an extent, but over a while that can actually be pretty unhealthy And so you have to think carefully about how am I going to plan my week ahead? If I'm going to have a good day of rest, how am I going to find time to connect with people that I want to connect with and and actually plan out a good day that's going to be restful? If you're a couple, maybe developing the ability not to say yes to every single social engagement so your days aren't just back to back of going from one thing to another or clearing out the times in the week where you will do that and then a day of rest where you won't. If you're a family, the challenge is, how do you do a day of rest when you've got kids and not restful? And it's going to take some thinking. And it's going to f- switch from kind of, I don't know if this is the best way to describe it, but kind of passive rest to active rest. What used to be a restful day is going to look different now. And if you, don't, if you don't adjust to that, you will make yourself miserable. So if your day of rest before was started with like, a slow start to the morning, kind of a lie-in, then to like kind of a cafe, then some reading and that kind of... It's gone, right? With kids, that is not going to happen. But it's not so bad because kids are actually really good at resting. They're really good at switching off from work. I've never said to the kids, let's go play in the pool or something. We don't have a pool, by the way. It was like a little Bunnings $20 pool, just to, just to be clear. But you never say that to the kids and they're like, ah. Oh, would love to, but i got a presentation on Monday. Uh, like they're, just like, they're all about it. And so resting as a family is going to be more active. And that was an adjustment for me. The way I like to kind of wind down before that was to not do much. And now with kids, you need to be active. And so it's going to take, take a switching of gears. Rest is going to be different now. But you know what? The, the stats would go that people with young kids tend to burn out at work less than those with, with, uh, with either no kids or with older kids. And the reason for it is, because they are so demanding, they demand so much of your attention, you can actually switch off from work. It's a helpful thing. And there are new ways that you can find to enjoy God's creation. Before, you might not have thought about the end of the beach that has rocks and no waves worth going at. But with kids, they love it. That's where all the crabs are. That's where the action is. And they can draw you into God's creation in good and helpful ways. It's just going to be different. And so I'd put to you two challenges on this then. The first is to actually design a day of rest. To sit down and spend some time to think, if it was a 24-hour period, and because in the New Testament we're free for that to be anywhere in the week, to say, where are we going to do it, and what would it look like from end to end? And then think, how, how is it that we would actually do a day that's really restful? And then, once you've got something or a bit of a pattern to it, to then guard it ferociously. As a week in, week out, we are going to, unless there are exceptional circumstances, and there will be, and there'll be interruptions and all kinds of things, but uh, unless there is something intervening, we're going to have a clear day of rest each week. And i would say, look, we've been at this for a little while, my wife and I, and say, I look forward to Saturday so much. Not only that, but our kids do. They'll often say, is today daddy's day off? And we say, day off is a bastard Sabbath. That's like, <laughs> we never say that, just to be clear. The kids are out there for the talk, right? They, they look forward to it as well. Because they know that's a time when we're going to hang out as a family, where I'm not just going to be on my phone all day or on my laptop or opening it and closing and all that kind of stuff. where we just hang out together as a family. We enjoy God's good creation. And we don't always nail it. And sometimes you've got to do last minute errands because you forgot about something and whatever else. But in the main, we've got a great pattern of just switching off and resting and enjoying God's good creation. And the life of that flows into the whole rest of the week. It's right and good. So those are the two things. Design a good day of rest. Share it with others in your small group. Compare ideas because other people might have thought of things that you haven't. That's why we're in community together. Maybe even share it on the Facebook book. If you really nail it next week, if you take a day off and you hit a 10 out of 10, post it up there with an itinerary and everything for it to help everyone else. We won't take it as like a, you know, social media humble brag type thing. Just chuck it up there. Uh, and then guard it ferociously. Make it the steady pattern of your life. That you'd have one clear day where you fully switch off, where you do not work, where you do the opposite of work. You rest. And on this as well, it's probably going to be the case that if you've been doing life at a billion miles an hour, that it's going to feel a little funny the first few times you do it, Right? If you think of it like this, when you come off the freeway doing 110 and then you hit a 60 zone, you feel like you're going about two kilometers an hour and it feels wrong, right? You're actually doing the right speed, but it feels completely wrong. If you've been doing like life at a million miles an hour and then you slow down, it's going to feel a little bit wrong for a while. But just trust that that's in sync with God's created order. To have a day of rest is a right and good thing. It's a gift from God. Now, i say even on this, if you're skeptical after all this, of doing this, you've got a million reasons why it's not going to work in your head, I'll just put to you this. Are you not tired of being tired? Are you not tired of people saying to you, how are you going, when you say tired? Are you not bored of saying that you're tired? Because if you're not, I can tell you other people are. This <laughs> is <laughs> an added motivation. But honestly, if you are feeling tired constantly, if you're telling people that you're tired constantly, aren't you sick of it? They say that people don't change until the pain of changing. Now, what is it? People don't change until the pain of not changing is greater than the pain of changing. Aren't you tired of it? Isn't it worth giving a crack at something? And there is good reason in Scripture that the pattern of a clear day of rest is good and for the flourishing of people. Why not do it? Are you sick of being tired? You're sick of not growing as a Christian. They say there's a quote from, from one author saying, "If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy." because eventually then you make some poor decisions and you end up doing something bad. If you're distracted, tired, busy, angry, short with people around you, short with the kids if you've got them, isn't it time to do something about it? Just have a crack and see what happens. There's good biblical evidence that this pattern of a day of rest each week is good and for the thriving of these people. And more than that, it's a shadow of the rest that is to come, a reminder that one day we'll finally be at rest because of the, the victory that Jesus won at the cross. Let's pray that he would help us to rest. Father God, we praise you. You are the God of rest. You are our designer. You are the one who will bring ultimate, true and lasting rest when you establish your peace forever in the new age to come. Where you will live and walk among us. Where there will be no sin and suffering and difficulty. Father, until that day we pray that we would maintain the habit of rest as a gift from you. that it might be in some ways a shadow of the rest that will come, that it might lead us to trust you more, to not trust in ourselves, to not be endlessly driving in our potential and the things that we could be doing, but just to admit that life is found in you and not in ourselves. And Father, we pray that we would be a rested people and that it would be a witness to a tired city The life under you is good. Father, we pray that you would do this not for our glory, but for yours and our joy in you. We pray all of this for the sake of your holy name.